Gibson regarded as one of the great competitors in baseball today. Peering in to get his sign now from McCarver. It's McAuliffe leading off in the opening game of the series. Swing and a miss. Just came out. Saturday, everybody. This is episode 52 of the BBA Today. My name is Ron Collins. I am the general manager of the Yellow Springs Nine. And as always, I have with me today, Ted Schmidt, GM, uh, free agent GM, looking for a gig, hoping to get his little tin cup out and and land a franchise at some point here. Ted, uh, 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 good morning, I guess for me. Good afternoon for you. Yeah, whichever it is. I was going to say good afternoon, everybody, but then I realized by the time people listen to this, it'll be mornings and evenings and other times. So, you know, good whatever. I hope it's good, whoever's. Yeah, and that would just mess with my brain because um, I was up late last night with my brother and it's and it's morning and you'd say good afternoon and I, I would be completely lost. Right. So well, I'm completely lost most of the time. <laughs> so. Well, we've had a we've had a new sim as uh, we've had a couple of days now to uh, grab and look at the latest sim. The calendar is now clocked over into early June. I think June second is the actual in-game time, so we've crossed the two-month mark. Uh, we had a couple of uh, I, it's a, kind of fun to start with milestones, I guess. We had a couple of milestones with Manuel Martinez and uh, Lorenzo Palacios both hitting their 300th home run. Uh, last week, um, what are your what's your reaction to those two? Um, embarrassingly, in the case of Manuel Martinez, uh, similar to um, I forgot who he was, <laughs> so I had to remember <laughs> who the guy he was. Who he was. Um, on the other hand, I mean, now I do remember because I, I remember uh, Jacksonville at the time had like a uh, back when Tyler was running them put out like a free Martinez article of some kind. Um, you know, the guy was kind of, I believe was kind of a late bumper, um, you know, was a prospect and then just kind of blew up in the minors. Um, at the same time that I believe that he had Alfredo Martinez on the roster. So it was this like free Martinez, not that one, uh, <laughs> sort of, uh, piece that he did. And, you know, Martinez stormed onto the scene and kind of just lit up the league for, you know, half a decade or so, or, uh, at least offensively had some injury problems. And, you know, he's he's not the player he used to be. Um, I think he's going to end up being one of those guys. You know, I think that uh, it's, a, you know, it's exciting for people to get to 300 home runs. Um, I think he may not get to 400. Um, he probably will. But, you know, he's, he's 29. He's kind of fragile at this point. Um, some of his batting skills are getting into the red zone. Yeah, he's so. had a couple of... Um... Of difficult years, uh, he's Portland is not the greatest offensive park. He is fairly well tailored to it with his left-handed power. But yeah, I, I think uh, the, he's a big question mark going forward. I mean, I could see him making 400, but I could also see him making you know 320. <laughs> right. So before before it's all said and done, he is one of those guys that flies under the radar screen. And uh, uh, in the last three strikes, we were talking about underappreciated 
uh, players under under PR players. Yes, Tyler did do his free Martinez things, but Tyler was also a fairly quiet GM on the uh, forums when it came to talking about his players. So uh, I think we missed a lot of his, the meat of his career. You know, he had a really strong entry into the BBA, and he was with good teams that played really well. So he had almost the Ohuru talking about with Rockville. Um, um, uh, Barajas, yes. <laughs> he has the same kind of problem. Is he, While he was at his peak, he was surrounded by other players who were probably better. So interesting uh, interesting milestone there. I had kind of, he had lost, I remembered who he was, but he had moved way off of my radar screen. I would not have been thinking about Manuel Martinez as one of the, um, one of the big players of the last decade, but he certainly was. I was actually trying a few days ago to remember who he was before this came up. And then when I saw Manuel Martinez, I was like trying to remember who that guy was on uh, Jacksonville. At the time he came up was the time that I had picked up Raul Hernandez from New Orleans and Hernandez had also bumped. And so I was excited about my up and coming DH and clearly uh, Martinez was a better player ratings wise, but they're just kind of tied together in my mind that way. So I was trying to remember um, who that guy on Jacksonville was. And then the, the you know, the, the news ticker piece came up that, you know, 300 home runs for Martinez. And I was still like, who's that guy? <laughs> like, I didn't realize that he's the guy that I was trying to remember. So I think he's fallen off of everyone's radar. Just There you <laughs> go. <laughs> yeah. And Lorenzo Palacios, of course, is a is a name that is a little bit uh, more recognizable, I think, to the average everyday BBA GM. Um, what are your thoughts on Lorenzo Palacios? I mean, he's just been a much better player over his career, right? Being able to play in the field outside rather than being a DH, his peak was a little bit kind of bigger and longer. Um, still, still the same region. And then, you know, in recent years, um, he's still uh, quite a good hitter, maybe a little bit off of his peak, but the biggest problem is that he just doesn't belong in the field anymore, and that kind of limits his um, limits his utility. He is much more likely. I, I can I would see him getting to 400 home runs pretty easily. 500, eh, maybe not, just due to playing time issues. Um, there's so many options at DH. You know, again, overall, just a just a much better player. Um, he is pretty much a lock for the Hall of Very Good at this point. You know, just in, in general, more celebrated career. Yeah, I think he. Uh... He also went to a ballpark in his in in his last year in San Fernando that is going to help him, I think, from a career standpoint. So the numbers will will likely continue to build. He is a much better hitter today, without any question. He's probably been a better hitter throughout his um, throughout his career overall. But he's aging better than um, Martinez is at this point. Uh, the future is always uncertain. <laughs> future is always unclear, right? But um, I was I was happy to see Lorenzo Palacios hit that milestone, and uh, good on him. The question that I that immediately struck me as I start, as I look at him is his absolute best years were in Rockville, and that ballpark is not kind to not particularly kind to hitters. In an era where offense was way up, he has some nice numbers. But imagine what he what his numbers would be like if he had been in, say, San Fernando's park the entirety of his career. You know, add another what three to five maybe home runs a year, mm-hmm. and then you are actually talking about a guy who might look uh, might have that counting number. <laughs> 
uh, conversation going for him, as well as potentially war. If he can play another five or six years at productive three to four war kind of numbers, which is possible if he can find the right fit, right team, you know, I could see him having a, a real serious conversation. I could. I just don't. I think that it, it's it's a fit issue, right? You're gonna he's gonna have to get those three to four wars at DH, and that's pretty tough, especially in kind of the hitting the way the league is right now. There are so many outfield power bats that are bad at defense that are getting pushed into these DH roles as they decline. That I think it's just going to be hard for Palacios to be that much better than the replacement DH. And I think if you stick him in the field. He's only going to get worse, and he's pretty bad right now. And so that's just going to really sap his war numbers. Um, and so, yeah, it's possible that he'll get in the conversation range, but I, I'd take the under. Yeah, it, it, I would actually suggest that it probably depends on on uh, whether Randy keeps him around or not. And he's on a really nice contract for, you know, Randy front-loaded that contract to where he's paying him a, a bucket load of cash right now, but he drops down to about $7.5 million for, what, three more years. Right. Um, so I could I could see Randy just basically penciling him in, and as long as he keeps that three WAR number up, three WAR he's on pace for 3.1 WAR or something like that uh, this year, and 3.1 WAR out of a DH is pretty damn good. Right. Absolutely. So the question ultimately is, you know, will he age gently? And if he ages gently, I can definitely see Randy penciling him in for three more years at three more war. Uh, so that's 11 or 12 more than he already has. Um, Low fifties. Yeah. And you're starting to get into that range. And then if he does, if he ends up being one of those players that ages gracefully into his mid and late thirties and maybe adds a war to war and a half uh, again, you start seeing a 400, 450 home run guy with 55 to 60 war in that you know, revisiting our earlier conversation. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a interesting case. So those are two very interesting players to hit their milestones. 300 home run milestones at ages 29 and 30 opens up the possibility for having these, what is their career going to be like questions? Um, yeah. You know, it, it all just depends. And it's interesting that, you know, they're both players that were on very, very good teams when they came up, both of them surrounded by, Lots of other talented players, although I think Palacios probably got a little bit more attention than Martinez did, probably because he lasted a little bit longer, um, but also because, as you said, Tyler didn't talk as much. But yeah, just interesting, contrasting yeah. careers. There was well, and one... flat out, Palacios was on uh, championship teams um, recently, and... Uh, you know, he's got what five pockets. So, I mean, yeah. he's a, he's a major, he's a true major league hitter uh, at the elite level at his peak. So. Yep. Um, there was one other milestone that I think is interesting enough in a different way. Um, Luis Ortega with Edmonton just got his 300th save and it's not interesting because I care about Luis Ortega at all. I don't, um, you know, he's a good enough reliever. He's been pretty darn good for a long time. Um, it's really the question of, do we care that he got the 300 saves? And if we do care, how long are we going to care? Are we going to continue? Are we going to see more 400, 500 save guys? Or is that a thing of the past? God, I hope it's a thing of the past. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, maybe I don't. Maybe I would like everybody to keep throwing their uh, best relievers in positions where they get 60 innings and my best relievers get, you know, 150 innings. Um, I, you know, it, I, to me, it's just a quirk of uh, the save just doesn't seem to want to die. 
I don't know if you have if you do you care at all when a guy gets the three hundred saves. Does that mean anything to you? Yeah, I mean, I I like I like the game of baseball, and I like the stories that it tells. I like the I like the save as much for what it tells about the metagame of how players are used as I do anything else. I think that there is a mentality to a team at certain points where when you have a a Manny Rivera in your back pocket, it kind of changes the flavor for the way a team feels, right? There is nothing more upsetting <laughs> than to have a five to three lead going into the ninth and lose it. So it's kind of like I have the same feeling about saves as I do wins, right? Yes, wins don't give, wins are not predictive about what future value is. If you tell me a guy won 18 games, I can't tell you necessarily how great that pitcher is, but it's likely he's a decent pitcher at least because even yeah. <laughs> you don't find too many bad pitchers who win 18 games in a year. I mean, it can happen, but you also don't find too many bad relievers who make 300 saves. Right. I mean, you, you just don't find bad relievers who make 300 saves. On occasion, you might find an online league where you have one general manager who just decides, I don't care about winning games. <laughs> and by random chance, you can have a mediocre reliever get make 300 saves. So I think these things do actually tell a story. It's just that if you're uh, comparing... Uh, they're, they're the story of what happened, right? And so to me, it's also actually uh, fair to vote for awards based on a guy made 24 wins. That may not be the best pitcher in the league, but they won 24 games with him pitching. It's fair for somebody to say, I just like the game of baseball such that a 24-win pitcher with a 3.4 ERA I'll vote for over a 15-win pitcher with a 2.9 ERA. I will disagree that those are um, how you would rank those, but if somebody does that, I go, okay, that's that's fine. That's uh, you know, it's a it's a the story of baseball is important to me. So probably rambling on way too far about that, but I, I like um, I don't have any problems with saves. You just have to use them in the same con in the right context and not pretend that a guy with 500 saves is a better reliever than a guy with 412. Um, they just had opportunity fields that were different. Yeah, and uh, I I agree mostly with I agree pretty much with what you said there. The one thing I will point out is um, as a fan of a team that has now had about a decade of managers who refuse to take their starters out, and then when they do. They wait until the starter is in um, a horrible situation, and then they bring in the fourth or fifth best reliever on the team, and then they lose that game. I do not think the ninth inning is the most frustrating time to lose a game anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that is, well, uh, the, the reality of the matter is the most frustrating time to lose the game is whenever you lost it. Right. Well, um, so yeah, whenever I, you've lost it the most recently. Maybe. Yeah, that's that's fair, too. Did you want to run through the injuries really quick? Yeah, let's talk about a couple of them. Um, uh, two of them in particular stick out and I wanted to chat about a little bit. The first is uh, Calgary's uh, Fernando Rangel relief pitcher, who's out for five months now, four to five months with a back muscle uh, tear, I think. You know, I looked at that and I went, well, that's number one. He's a pretty good pitcher. He's having a really good season for Calgary. 
They don't use him very often at this point, so he's playing kind of a bit part. But to me, it's it's one of those bit parts that's a big bit part. I was looking at his usage pattern, and he's usually in for two outs or you know one inning. Rarely gets a a big chunk of not like a the reliever push in modern day BBA is to find these stoppers and have them throw a bunch of innings. He's not that guy, but he is a guy that without him, suddenly you have to throw another 15 or 20 pitches every other game, every third game or so. Um, I think that may be actually a bigger loss than it looks like. Uh, what, are you, it, what are your thoughts? No, I would agree with that. I do. I'm actually more interested in his usage pattern than the injury itself. He's legitimately great. I would be curious as to why he only got 40 innings, you know, last year. And, you know, he did have the torn UCL, so I do wonder how much this is just Dixon just going, you know what, I'm just going to baby this guy and I'll get 60 innings out of him and call it a day because, you know, I'm afraid to do any more than that. Maybe that's the reasoning. But, yeah, I, I agree. I think this is a, you know, and anytime you're in a situation like Calgary is where you're, you know, top of your division, you're having a great year. He's he's really, you know, it's starting to hurt. He's had, a, you know, multiple injuries to the pitching staff now, and that just that just thins you out, and you need these guys. So, I, I, big deal? I don't know if it's a big deal. Big-ish deal? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so then given where uh, Calgary is in a difficult division, um, you know, everything that you lose is another drop in the in the bucket of – of concern. Um, and in that light, I want to talk about Hector Cruz, right? He uh, broke his kneecap. He's out for a good chunk of time for Des Moines. Same conversation as before. Des Moines isn't really going anywhere, but I'll, I'm going to group Hector Cruz's injury with Wichita's injury from last week, uh, Ignacio Martinez. Two teams losing two players both teams, neither one of them are really going to go anywhere. But, and however, I think in the context of their entire organization, these are the kind of invisible frictions that nobody else sees, right? Because, no, I mean, I, I love you, Des Moines. I love you, nobody Wichita. Cares about nobody Des cares about what Wichita and Des Moines are going to do in 2044 because their windows are much out into the future. Um, but, you know, if Hector Cruz loses two or three games for because Hector Cruz is an above um, should be an above um, replacement kind of player, he's going to lose them games. Wichita and Des Moines need to be winning games as many games as they can win right now just to keep their yeah. fan interest in whatever momentum going as they possibly can. Every one of these things are like like rubbing sandpaper into a wound. <laughs> Uh, if you are in their shoes. So, you know, yes, Wrangle will perhaps influence a uh, playoff situation in 2044, and that will make a big public visible impact. But you can actually make an argument for building teams that losing guys like Hector Cruz, especially since this is the second guy, um, you know, uh, Des Moines lost Bobby Lynch uh, yeah, one or two sims ago. He keeps losing. You keep losing guys who are actually able to contribute, and um, and that makes it really hard to build. Yeah. Nope. Injuries are no good for anybody. <laughs> there is no such go. thing as a big injury that doesn't matter. Yep. So we'll. Uh, I just wanted to take a little bit of time because we often talk about you know all-star, elite, superstar 
broke his leg and then he's out and that makes a big deal. Um, we were, we rarely talk about the kinds of problems that injuries to uh, some of the building teams cause. And those are a couple of fairly important ones. Neither one of them are brilliant super players, but both of them were being relied upon for something important. So let's talk about trades. Yeah. So if you haven't read it yet, people, people, you people, uh, I, there's, there's been four kind of trades since the last one. Um, I intended to just, I usually kind of pick for them and see if there's anything worth talking about. And of course I found something to talk about on all of them. Ron, I don't know. Did you want to start with the small, the, the Rockville Charlotte one is pretty big and we'll need to kind of pull apart and take a look at the pieces and that kind of stuff. Um, did you want to do that first or did you want to jump through these smaller ones first? Yeah, let's jump through the smaller ones first and then we'll kind of see what happens. All right. In, in the first of the smaller trades, um, Louisville and Sacramento made a deal. Uh, Sacramento's been shopping around Newt Zietler, who's kind of on a small multi-year contract, protected. He's a injury rec- reclamation project and looking to get something for him. And he swapped Zietler for um, Freddie Delgado, who has been a bust, and then prospects Jose Mendez and Kyuchi uh, Mori. Do you have any particular thoughts about this to jump out? There was one, one big thing that I thought of when I saw this. Um, well, I'll be interested in your, in yeah, your I know. big Can you thing. guess? Can you guess what it is? What's the thing I'm thinking of, right? <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, I honestly don't know. I, I cannot guess what your big thing is. What is your big thing? Um, well, what, what do you think of the trade? First off, let's just get your opinion. Cause you're probably going to end up where I, I would, I think on this one, maybe not. I uh, like Mendez as a kind of utility guy, as long as you can, you know, he's a left-handed bat, so he's got some ad- value and advantage there, and he can play uh, all around the infield. Um, I'm not convinced. I, I don't – when I say not convinced, that sounds like I'm uh, antagonistic toward it. I think he's got a lot of playing to do to prove whether he's capable of being kind of an elite shortstop. That 9-8-9-11 suggests that he might be an elite-level shortstop, but – uh, same conversation you have on reading ratings until he actually plays up in the majors and you can see whether he's a plus eight, nine kind of zone rating shortstop uh, or a plus it makes a big difference. If he's a plus nine to plus 12 uh, shortstop versus a, you know, plus two plus four. Uh, so that I think that's where his, the question on his career is going to be. He's 21. So he could be an interesting ad more a, is a little bit more, I think Maury needs some development work, but he could end up, I mean, if he bumps, he's going to be really useful. But right now I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not convinced that he's the, I'm not convinced he's going to have much of a career right this minute, but I would love to have him on in my pipeline as a wait and see kind of player. Well, um, if, if I had him in my organization, I would not be penciling him in yet as a, he's going to be my left fielder in, 2049. As usual, I'm a little more pessimistic than you are. Um, with Maury, what I see is a guy who is pretty raw. You know, he's 17, he's so far away, who knows? But right now, he looks like he would be, at best, a short side of a platoon, I think. And you really would, you would prefer your, I think, your short side of platoons to bring a little bit more homer power than three, but he could be okay there. I agree with everything you said about Mendez. Um, he kind of looks kind of quad A ish to me. And I actually prefer my utility guys to be right-handed. I feel that given that there are so many lefty bats with splits, that left-handed platoon guys just, I have a harder time figuring out how to get them at bats. 
especially when you know they're they're on the bench most of the time. You're thinking, who are you going to take out to put in this marginal left-handed hitter? Well, it's not going to be one of your good left-handed hitters. And so then you're looking at a circumstance where you would have a righty. It's just I don't know. I just don't really like the left-handed utility guys yeah. as much. I have I when when I look when I look at when I look at that question right. If we make an assumption that his ratings stay where they are and you're going to use him in the big leagues, especially as I was coming up the curve, I used these kinds of players uh, fairly often. And the way I would use them is not as a platoon player. What I would use, what I would look at, what I would project Mendez's uh, big league career to look like, assuming he has one, is as a guy who I would plug in as a backup when tired and who I would use as a defensive replacement across uh, either shortstop or third base um, with the idea that I could then allow myself to play a Angel de Castillo, although de Castillo was a switch hitter, so that it's a bad choice. I could play a a big hitting right-handed shortstop quite as well. And then I would throw Mendes in as a defensive replacement, meaning that anytime the game was close, in the eighth, ninth, seventh, eighth, or ninth innings, then you'd have Mendez playing, um, playing using the defense um, that way. So I don't think that he's got a place on a pennant-winning team at this point, but he's got a possible place in the BBA. Yeah, that's right. But the anyway, the the big thing that stuck out to me here is that this is a pretty small return. I don't really see either one of those guys as a big leaker. No, I think it was a okay. Uh, Hall, when, like I said, to me, the most interesting question, if I were in Sacramento's shoes, the most interesting question, uh, the thing that I would be looking for, um, I mean, I like the intangibles that you get out of out of Moray. If there is a player who is going to bump, you know, he's a, a good work ethic, good leader, low greed kind of player. I think that the if there is a diamond in this deal, it is Moray, and, um, but it requires him to bump. Uh, I mean, I would give him a 30%, 25% chance to increase his ratings someplace. If he increases them in the right place, then he becomes a bona fide, bona fide player. Either way, it's just you always kind of like to get something that you know is a thing. Sure. And it's hard to, it's hard when you don't get a thing that you know is, is going to be anything good. And I think yeah, but my... if you also you also turn the conversation around and you've got Zeitler, who you also know can blow out any moment. Right, he um, might instantly become not a thing. Right. So, do you do you take the lottery pick, uh, the slightly better than lottery pick um, package right now, or do you hold your breath and hope that um, you can get a better offer? Um, I think since Sacramento is not going anywhere right now, that was probably a, a pretty reasonable thing, because uh, you know what Zeitler threw. I'm looking at him right now through. Between AAA and BBA last year, he threw 26 innings. He's got 49 this year. Um, he's wrecked. I am not really particularly happy to see Louisville adding more uh, oomph right now. So, yes, that's uh, if I'm in Shaw's shoes, I understand saying, yeah, I'll throw these two chips in for a guy because, quite honestly, his pitching staff is constantly getting hurt. So, yeah. He's used to dealing with hurt pitchers, but if he can get three months of good Newt Zeitler, then that was that was great. <laughs> yeah. um, 
the problem that he's going to have before it's all said and done, which is not a very big problem for guys like Shaw, is uh, that uh, contract. Uh, you know, he's going to have a team option in for each of those years. If he decides, if if Zeitler goes through the year and is healthy, does Shaw keep him around for five million dollars? Maybe, yeah. maybe not. Maybe not. I, yeah, um, okay. it depends on all the rest of his players. I don't know. It's I. It, Shaw kind of just seems to have gotten you know something for almost nothing, which from from his standpoint, I don't know. I, I don't I don't disagree with what you said. So and next, to be blunt, and to be blunt, uh, Delgado is not nothing. I mean, I he is, don't see. This is where I disagree. And I'm reading the comments to the article I posted about this, and Aaron chimed in with the exact same thought. He might not be nothing, but his start has been so bad that convincing someone else to take him on as a rental which I think is what you would be doing with a guy with an expiring concept, gets very, very difficult. I mean, you know, he would have to, even if he pitches with a, a solid to good ERA for the next two months, he's still going to have a, a total ERA that's like around five or five and a half. And trying to sell that to somebody is not easy because I mean, they're, they're, they're looking, okay, he's pitched better recently, but I've also seen that he can pitch like a complete turd. So I, I see what you're saying, that he is a flippable chip, but, it's not easy to do. And it doesn't even have to be flippable. I mean, at the 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 point is that there's value in Delgado on the field. He's had a really hard start, but he is one of the, I mean, what's his career war? He's a 30 career war guy. Yeah. And I guess right? this goes to your point that like winning games is winning games, right? So if he's just a warm body on the field, that's not completely terrible. And Sacramento keeps a few more fans because of that. That has some value. Yeah, and we've talked, uh, I know that throughout the years that I've been in the BBA, there's lots of conversation. When you are, uh, Sacramento is not winning this year, right? They're, they are not winning this year. You still want to win games. You still want to field Major League Baseball players. Right. Because if you don't field Major League Baseball players, your finances go in the drink. Yep. So here's a guy that, you know, Delgado's on a one-year contract. Uh, he has zero uh, responsibility. Uh, Chulis gets zero responsibilities for Delgado. I mean, he might still uh, wind up throwing a 10 ERA, but I really doubt it. His history doesn't say that he's going to throw a 10 ERA. His ratings don't say he's going to throw a 10 ERA. He's given up, uh, holy cows, 4.9 home runs per nine. He is not going to continue <laughs> to give up 4.9 home runs per nine. That is not going to happen. Right? Uh, that's pretty awesome. So anyway. Yeah, no, those, are, those are good points. And I, I, the thing is, I tend to forget about that. And this is my own bias. I never needed replacement level arm. And I'd even, I use better than replacement level. I never needed back end starter arms, you know, just from the mm -hmm. way I build teams. So when I see that trade, I always go, this guy has no value, which is true. But to me, he, he would never have had any value because I, I have that. I have 10 of that guy pretty much at all yeah. times. So, um, I have to, you know, it's again, check your, check your biases sort of thing. Um, the next little small deal is um, Jacksonville, Vancouver. I'll just get into the meat of this right away. I don't see much in either one of those prospects. Um, I think Jose Vasquez is pretty much a non-prospect given his age and his four motion and lack of other outstanding abilities. Shan Guan, the catcher in rookie ball, is 19. He's a little bit less developed than I like to see in a 19-year-old, but not too bad. He is an okay catcher. Um, if his arm was a little better, I'd be a little happier with him as a prospect. Um, I too am more of an ability than armed guy, but seven four isn't anything to get excited about behind the plate. And I just don't like his hit profile. You know, he he'll be pretty much a kind of slap hitter with some gap power, 
he'll be okay. You know, he's, he, to me, he looks like either a platoon, he looks like a weak starter or a backup slash platoon guy. Um, and that's fine. But again, he has to get there. Um, he's, he's pretty far away. And the player that Vancouver came up in Mullins, my thought is that they just sold on him a little early. Um, the guy has 480 innings in AAA with an ERA in the 3-7 range. <laughs> and he's got about 50 innings in the big leagues with, um, like, I think a four and a half FIP or somewhere around there. And when you look at the guy, there's nothing wrong with him. You know, like just looking at him from a rating standpoint, there is, there's not a thing wrong with that pitcher. The, you know, you can, I, even as someone who fears the stuck changeup, stuck at five isn't so bad. And if you're right and that continues to develop, he could actually get a good deal better. And even if it doesn't and say that this guy can't hack it as a starter, that is what a real RP conversion looks like. That is, that is the description of an RP conversion. You got a fastball, you've got four pitches rated over six. Um, the, the, the pitch that you will keep can get the opposite handed hitter out. So you're not going to dump your movement when you, when you drop pitches, there's nothing wrong with your movement. There's nothing wrong with your control. Uh, you know, that's so in, in what I see here is that I, I just think Vancouver gave up on a guy that is a big leaguer right now for a guy that might be a big leaguer in the future. And even if they're both marginal guys, I, I feel like when you make multiple deals like this um, because you get frustrated with a guy or because you don't think a guy can hack it, these are the sorts of things that when you do six or seven of these, you really sap your farm system or you sap your franchise. That was kind of kind of my thoughts. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. I, I don't really. I, I uh, know I was trying to scan it last night and I was getting busy. Um, I know Taylor. I think posted a a uh, team news about this and what some Oops. of his thoughts oh, were. <laughs> Sorry, Taylor. Um, I'm sure, they're good. But, you know, I, I think Taylor has uh, some goals there. I think he felt like he was increasing his catcher. His comment was something about Sean Guan becomes the number one catcher in the organization, which is probably fair enough. Um, I don't know whether Jacksonville, Vancouver is, you know, they're, clearly they're not going anywhere this year either. Um, no, I tend to agree with your conversation about Mullins. They maybe gave up on him a little bit too early from a value standpoint. On the other hand, he is in his major league uh, cycle, right? And he's, his uh, clock has started. And within another year, he's going to start having to get paid. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I agree with you fundamentally that Mullins has a, uh, is the most intriguing player in this deal from a potential longer term value. I don't think Mullins is ever going to be like uh, super special. I mean, he's a uh, kind of number three, number four, maybe kind of a pitcher. Uh, if he does convert and becomes a serious reliever, he'll bump what two miles an hour. So it'll be 97 miles an hour, uh, fastball, pretty good stuff. So yeah, I could see him being an eight, six, seven kind of a. Yeah. And I, I said fastball. He has reliever. a first, He has a first pitch cutter. I just see cutter, sinker, fastball. And I, I think fastball, I probably should be a little bit more clear on that, but um, yeah. it's not, but he's not it, a guy absent a. Yeah. He's, he's got, he's got a good repertoire yeah. uh, before it's uh, at the end of the day, that's 95 mile an hour for solid pitches. He should be a good solid number three, number four, kind of a starter you would knock on wood and hope for. And his numbers in AAA, like you said, are solid. So actually, um, 
Now that I think about it, I was totally wrong. I did think that was a fastball because I assumed he would keep the cutter. He won't. He would keep cutter chain, curveball changeup, which I don't know what that does out of the as an RP conversion. So could yeah, it be okay. I think it was. I think it would still be okay in because he's uh, he'll still add the two miles an hour. Yeah. Um. So I don't think he's going to bump up to like. Ten six seven. Nobody could be like seven six seven or eight six seven. But he could be seven or eight six seven, and yeah. and that would be a you know bona fide reliever. But again, you're going to have to start paying him like a bona fide reliever. So um, I, I like him better as a starter. I think you just let the guy yeah. keep pitching. And, no, know. I would definitely plug if I'm Greg Greathouse. I would plug him into the rotation pretty much right away. And I think Greg is needing. Greg is a, in an interesting situation. I like this pickup. Uh, for Greg and for Jacksonville because they've got kind of a fleet of fairly young pitchers coming in who are just going to be good, not great, right? And uh, a pitching staff like that can can win you a lot of games over 162 games. So I think he fits Jacksonville's uh, window right now. It doesn't surprise me to see Greg pulling uh, pulling a guy like Mullins in. And the only question you're having is, did Vancouver get enough? Uh, out of the deal, if Guan ends up doing what Ty, what I think Taylor is hoping that he will do, then then you know they're trading current value for future value, and um, that future value could be a you know pretty solid starting catcher. But there's uncertainty on that. So right this minute, you worry about a. I think I worry more about it from Vancouver's side because they could end up getting nothing. But then that's what you say about any time you get a, a decent prospect who is 19 years old, in yeah. which case you go, crap. <laughs> right. uh, I gave away a pretty decent pitcher for uh, for nothing. Well, and even, I mean, it's the whole, you know, usable players, usable big leaguers need to net other usable big leaguers or a very good chance of getting other usable big leaguers. They, they, there are really not that many usable big leaguers. Um, in the grand scheme of things. And so those players, you know, uh, you can nibble away at the, you know, I, I, I was ecstatic to find out when when Shaw referred to all of his uh, young, talented, cheap players as his pretties, um, I just it, I just felt good inside. <laughs> that sort of, um, I was like, like, this guy gets it, you know? And um, there you when you, when you, when you're not, rigorously careful with usable big league talent and making sure that you turn it into other usable big league talent. You can really nibble away at the value at the, at the amount of pretties that you have. Um, and that's, it's long-term that won't do you much good. Um, yeah. So, uh, so far I am two for two on getting important details in a trade wrong. Let's see <laughs> what I did on number three. So the third, the third deal is, uh, I think there's very little to say about this one. Long, Long Beach is, Contending, they have an absolute hole at shortstop, and I think this was a desperation move. Um, just a, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take Otero. I'll put him in at short. He can't be worse than what Fairborn's been right now, and I think he's probably right about that. Um, I'm not convinced that Otero is any good. I think he's probably just above replacement level. He has done some okay things in the past with playing time, but He's also done some not okay things in the past with playing time, and more recently he's been more on the not okay side. And then, you know, he gave up a couple pitching prospects that are nothing special, but they are pitching prospects. Um, they are, you know, then they're not they're not like lottery tickets. These guys are legit potential, you know, relievers. One of them's already one of them's already developed in Corona, who looks, you know, okay, usable. And then uh, Dominic Thompson 
you know, looks like he has some solid upside. Neither one of them will be, you know, frightening guys out of the bullpen, but you need warm bodies. And the the only thing to say here is I, I just don't like desperation moves. I don't like the I have to fill a need, so I'm going to move stuff now moves. You look at a guy like Fairborn and you wonder, like, yeah, he has been absolutely horrible for them and they are in the thick of a race. And so maybe you can't afford to lose another game waiting for in the long run, waiting for him to kind of turn it around. But I'm really not sure that Otero is an upgrade over him. So I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts there? Um, I mean, I don't like uh, what you're calling desperation moves either, but I also don't like being in a position where I need to make a desperation move. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the other problem. Um, <laughs> you know, so I think if I'm sitting, uh, I'm putting, if I put myself in Stephen Lane's shoes and say, crap, I need to do something um, because it's clear this is not working out, then the you have to do something. You have to find a shortstop. And right now, it is very hard to find good shortstops. Um, and by good, I mean, you know, top, upper, third kind of shortstops. Um, the, I'm interested uh, in whether Valencia will attempt to move uh, Angel Zalapa, right? That would be that would be a big deal, but that's a $27 million contract. And how movable is that? I don't think that Valencia can agree to uh, eat uh, multiple years of $27 million and, and still be a viable building team. <laughs> right. uh, even, even if he gets a whole bunch of things back, because uh, $27 million is a huge chunk. But on the same side, I don't think that Stephen or very many contending teams can absorb $27 million. Um, but if you look around the space of what shortstops are available, uh, there's, uh, there, there's a premium price. There's not much there. So, if, you know, Stephen has kind of a worst case scenario. He needs to make a move in a market that has very little wiggle space. Because on the whole, I would, I would, if I'm just grading this on probable future value of players, I would tend to think that Vegas is in a better spot. The reason I commented running the comment list at all was not to beat up on Stephen. I understand why Stephen made this deal. I don't think it's a bad deal for him, and it's not like he gave up amazing prospects or anything like that. Uh, the reason I thought this deal was important to take note of is watch what Rex does. You know, these are the kind of things where a guy is publicly saying, I need a shortstop, and Rex says, heck, I got a guy. He's not much of a guy, but I got a guy. You want a guy? You can get me some other guys for him, and... This is how you keep keep your franchise going. You know, this is how you when you don't have higher draft picks or when you you know when you're picking at the ends of rounds or this is how you keep putting stuff into your farm system. Um, yep. And I think that's the that's the takeaway here. So then we got the big one, and we've got um, Charlotte and Rockville, um, two teams going in opposite directions. Um, well, currently playing in opposite directions. I don't know if they're going in opposite directions, but. Um, you know, the big get here uh, was a guy with two names that I don't want to attempt, but that would be uh, Adergazaz Wakili. You think that's a Wakili? I don't um The way I pronounce it is Adergazaz Wakili. <laughs> but nice. that's, the, that's because I had a 15-minute conversation with a gentleman from uh, Nigeria back when I was working, and he was trying to explain to me how African names are pronounced. But of course, Africa is not. It, Africa is a very big place. So I'm sure that they are pronounced multiple <laughs> in multiple different directions. But um, 
uh, Adergazad's Oweikili came from my organization, and I have always enjoyed uh, him merely because he reminds me of this gentleman, and that was a fun conversation. So uh, I am already predisposed to enjoy Oweikili. <laughs> Oweikili. Oweikili. Yes. Um, anyway, go ahead. I'm derailing you. <laughs> oh, no, that's fine. I'm I'm enjoying listening to us talk about him. What do you think of him as a player, then, since you kind of spent some time looking at him? Um, I mean, I like him uh, quite a bit. You know, you look at the 10, 11, 12, he grew a changeup uh, after uh, he was selected off of his, off of my, um, he was selected off of my expansion draft list okay. way back in the, in the old days. Um, I like him quite a bit. I did not expect him to grow into a viable starter, um, but, you know, clearly he did. And, um, and you know, good on him. I I think he's a he's a really interesting pitcher. He's not a number one. He's not probably not a number two. But if you can throw him in as a number three, four pitcher, you've got a guy who can win a lot of games out of that slot. So you feel okay uh, with the three stamina guys as starters? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, it depends on your bullpen. I mean, right now I don't have any problem with the three stamina starter because I've got eight bullpen guys that. I'd really rather be pitching anyway. <laughs> um, so actually, if I had Oakley back and he was starting, I would probably put him on like a seventy pitch count and hope that he never gets out of the fifth inning and go from there. Be but if I if, if I've got a weak bullpen, then then he kills me. I just can't see. I, I wonder. I wonder what Aaron's plans are. Him, you know, he benched him for this week largely because he. I think. I, I wonder if he plans to use him in relief, um, or he didn't have a way to get him into the rotation this week or if it was just an injury I know it's an injury precaution rest I just don't know what that means going forward um because right. you know he's got five starters that are fine um good and then Dan Cannon's having a little bit of a rough year he he may have reached the end of his rope but he still looks okay so um and you know I don't think anybody would be upset at having a 13 stuff guy coming out of the bullpen even if you've already got a bunch of other stuff coming out of the bullpen that's just one more ridiculous arm to get through so he's probably kind of a you know he's 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 great starting depth he's good relief depth i think he's a nice nice little ad for um for rockville and then as a nice ad the other point is if you want to take it out of the conversation of him as a starter right if you put him in as a reliever you could make him into a 120 inning reliever at a 14 4 6 if you when I plug him in as a reliever, he goes to 14 stuff. Okay. So uh, put him together with uh, Danny Leach, and you've got a really interesting one-two combination. And if I were in Rockville shoes, the one thing I would be really worried about is, is Danny Leach ever going to get hurt? Because if that happens, then their bullpen is in a different space. Yep. And then they, you know, they've got uh, Brady Greer they picked up, who is pretty much a you know fungible platoon outfielder and they've got a bunch of left-handed outfielders so this makes sense um as a as an ad for them um even if they're not going to use him right away he's an option um and then charlotte picks up kind of a smorgasbord of guys that i have varying levels of giving a crap about um i don't think a whole heck of a lot of paul springer you know i, I don't like when you see kind of a a marginal right-hander that really gets worse against lefties. He does maybe have some utility. Um, Chen, I think, is more of a salary going the other way 
sort of sort of picture. Um, he's still a fine player. He's a useful guy to have on a roster. Um, he expires at the end of the season. He's got a tradable deal. So, you know, I that's fine. That makes sense. Stan Smith is an interesting prospect. Pretty well developed at 20. Looks like he's going to be a good reliever. Hashin Makin is the exciting player, I think, maybe looking in this deal, but I really actually kind of don't like him as a prospect, um, just due to the, you know, he looks like a left fielder with strikeout issues and he's right-handed. Mubarak, again, I, I really don't like, like, when you start to see these, you know, the, you know, gap powers, gap power is important, but he's another kind of okay looking catcher, but looks kind of like more of a backup, largely due to the fact that he's not going to hit any home runs. And then, you know, Vessi, Vessi's an interesting player. So this is a, there's a lot of parts in here. And usually when there's a lot of parts, like somebody, I don't know, this looks good. This just looks good. Like, Oakley's not amazing. He's a little bit of an upgrade over Chen that went the, here's an upgrade over Chen that went the other way. Greer's nice. Um, Charlotte got a bunch of young guys that'll help him out later, I think. I, you know, good. Do you have any other thoughts? <laughs> no, I think this is actually, I think, you know, I actually wonder whether, uh, Aaron overpaid, uh, a little bit because despite the fact that I really like Oikili, Oikili, now I'm forgetting how I pronounce my own name, game player's name. <laughs> yeah. Despite the fact that I really like him, um, I also extra, I agree with you. I very much like this deal on Charlotte's standpoint too. I can see, you know, Rockville is in a push. I, I do, I do uh, still ponder the question of what's going to happen with Rockville when Cannon and Dempster are no longer there. They will have lots of resources, and Oyuakiti is a fantastic pitcher to have in your uh, organization and that will help. But yeah, this uh, to me, Brett has turned uh, one really solid chip that he doesn't really need right now for essentially six guys. All six of them could end up panning out into doing something useful for his organization. Yeah. Um, you know, two of them may not. Uh, Macon, I agree, is the most exciting and interesting, but he's got the danger of low contact, low AV case, but he's a young guy and, and he can play, uh, even if his, even if his bat turns out not to play particularly well, he's a really good fourth, fifth kind of outfielder who can do lots of things and he's got power and, you know, uh, maybe he turns into one of those half war, 0.8 war kind of outfielders that you just plug in for essentially six years into your organization <laughs> and don't worry about him, right? Cause you're building other players around him. You use up his, uh, cheap years. So, yeah, the, to me, organizationally, and we can go through and dig through each one of these players and talk about their warts and their great spots, um, but you step back and you go, hey, you just turned Oikili and Brady Greer, who is interesting, into six guys who's going who are going to build your organization. Um, this is the kind of thing that I think Charlotte uh, needs to be doing. So, yeah, No, I, I think it's really good. Um you had a player that you wanted to talk about, and in preparation for talking about that player, um, I'm looking at the team that player is on, and I would like to point out that Jimmy Starks Jr. is still playing baseball, um, <laughs> and he's only 31. That is true. Just unreal. This is like one of those ultimate what-could-have-been guys who had a combination of injuries and... 
the league getting better. Like, you know, he was a hot young prospect, but then a bunch of better prospects came along. Um, and then he just got hurt a whole bunch. And then the game decided that they weren't going to let left-handers play shortstop anymore, which was really weird. <laughs> he had a shortstop rating. It, like, disappeared in the middle of the year one year. It was just yeah. bizarre. Um, yeah, I do have another player, but I, I like the and entry I, I, into it with Jimmy Starks Jr. Uh, he's been around for forever, it seems like. Yeah. I don't, I don't really have a whole lot more to say about it. I just there. Let's get to your player. There's not a whole <laughs> lot to say about it. Oh, no, I will make a, a comment on Jimmy Starks Jr. You know, he's uh, one of those guys that a lot of people aren't going to think about because, you know, ultimately he's going to end up with, I'm doing a scan down his list of war, he's going to end up with maybe, you know, 18 to 25 war in his career if he keeps playing a little bit, Sorry. which is a pretty darn good little career. But the one thing to, to notice is that, yes, Jimmy Starks Jr. had the guts of his most productive years ripped out. He only played, what, uh, 52 games in his second year because of injuries, 83 in his third year because of injuries. He came back for 136 games in his fourth year and then only played 86 games in his fifth year. So you take out um, uh, of any uh, top flight player those kinds of productive games, you know, give him back what is essentially a whole season and a half <laughs> of production. And those three three war seasons that he entered the league with uh, become four war seasons or five war seasons. And suddenly you've got a guy who is just sparkling, right? Yeah. So yes, he's kind of a, a what could have been kind of player. But the guy that I wanted to talk about is Stephen Clulo. Um, he's been on my, what's that? Speaking of injuries, speaking of injuries. Yes. But he's been on my radar screen here, um, for the past couple of weeks because, uh, he was, um, you know, pitcher of the month in April in the same month that, uh, Wollenberger and, uh, uh, Weber and, uh, Bayer pitched their no hitters. Um, and Wollenweber's was just dominant, but then Stephen Kluglo was pitcher of the month. And it made total sense when you went to look at it, right? His uh, his um, ERA for the month was like 1.7 or I can't let me look at him here real quick. Um, ERA for April was 1.77. He was 5-0, 1.77 ERA, right? And I thought, well, he's going to totally dump because Stephen Clulo came into this league with some high expectations and just never lived up to them because of injuries mostly. And he did regress in May, but he only regressed to four and two at a 2.90 ERA. His, his, uh, his line now for two months is seven and oh with a 2.26 ERA. He is having a career year by a mile. When you really look down into, into the numbers, his ERA plus is 181. I mean, that this is this is a fun, interesting season for Stephen Clulo, um, and you know, what are you, what are your thoughts when you see a guy who does this, right? What do you see when at age, what is he, thirty one years old, he suddenly drops this kind of number? Because for two months you're starting to get a sample size that is not purely unreal. So in real life, I would think. He's figured something out this year. Whatever he's doing, he's got something going on. I mean, if you look at his underlying stuff, it's not, it doesn't 
it doesn't show that he should be this successful. Um, his, I think his, his FIP minus is just, you know, barely better than league average. His FIPs, again, of course, the same thing, barely better than league average. Um, his, if you look at his home, like walk rates and home run rates, they're a, they're a little better than previous, but not tremendously so. Um, he's not striking out guys. So there's, there's some reason to believe that like, you know, this isn't entirely real. On the other hand, those things are all better than they've been recently. So, you know, it's kind of like the, the, his results are better than his underlying rates, but his underlying rates are better than they have been previously. So if this was real life, I would think that there's something going on that's, that something happened this year. He's figured something out. Maybe batters will adjust. Maybe they won't. Um, in a video game, when I can see ratings, <laughs> it's, and I know that there's math going on inside the game engine. Um, it, it makes me skeptical that it'll that'll maintain, but it is exciting. Um, and the other thing I would say that there might influence math that's going on is that um, he's a free agent and he wants to get paid. And I don't know how much that factors into what happens with certain guys in the game. It could be that that's what's driving this. Yeah. Um, you know, I, we have seen guys put up incredible seasons in free agent years. Um, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting uh, twist because I had not paid attention to that aspect. Two numbers that I want to focus on, and one of them suggests that maybe this is real. The other suggests that it is not. Um, his home run to nine rate is down at 1.0, which is as effectively as low as it's ever been. And uh, when I looked at it, my first thought was, well, he must be pitching on the road a lot. But no, he's pitching inside Omaha's park more often than he is um, uh, on the road. Uh, so that actually makes me wonder whether he's got a, a, uh, a whether that is a real thing. His movement ground ball percentage is actually improved. Maybe he's in quotes figured something out in game speak, right? Mm -hmm. But the other one that uh, makes me go, and that is he's thrown a 215 bat. Yep, I just found that. Yeah. Right. And um, so that suggests that there is definitely a, either an element of luck or I have not looked, uh, I need to run my, uh, my defense script. I don't know where, where uh, Omaha's uh, defensive performance is in context of the league right now. So well, he's, he's just getting every, every uh, right-handed hitter to pull the ball to third base. It's everything he's getting <laughs> hit right at Emilio Morales. There you go. He's just out there vacuuming stuff up. That is true. And that is a, uh, if that is what is happening, then that's probably a good strategy for most uh, Omaha pitchers to use. <laughs> right. You know, I, I would imagine um, that Omaha's defense is actually going to you, you would find it near the top. Um, they've got they've got a, they don't have any holes in their infield. Um, they have good defense in center field, great defense in the outfield, with the exception of left field, which is still fine. Um, I I would I would suspect that you would find that this is a pretty pretty good defensive group um, yeah so yeah. yeah that very well could be well let me throw another uh, kind of off the wall topic at you as we come toward the to the end of this uh segment um it, it actually struck me uh, yesterday morning that um we are sitting here at about 55 56 57 games for all the different teams played um and so some things are starting to sort out but I was watching a, a, a uh, 
one of those weird games on television where, you know, real people are doing something that looks like baseball and noticing uh, that, you know, the, the season as we know it in 2020 in Major League Baseball is coming to its end at about the same amount of number of games that we're at right now. And it struck me to um, to ask, where, where, where would we be right this minute if in the BBA 60 games were the um, were the cutoff and we were going to this expanded playoff thing where, you know, in Major League Baseball, I think 16 of their 30 teams are going into the postseason. Um, so, you know, what would happen if we say either 16 or 18, if we want to scale it, although I don't know how that would work from a play, you'd have to do some other tournament-y things, you know. The whole thing in Major League Baseball is just kind of a up-in-the-air acknowledgement that this season is just kind of for fun, <laughs> for 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 lack of a better term. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, was, I was looking at this and starting to see – um, you know, about the only teams that would be out of the playoff race right now would be um, uh, Vegas, which would be right on the edge, Charlotte, Atlantic City, Montreal would be out, Wichita would be out, um, you know, Des Moines, Sacramento, Valencia, Vancouver would be out. I think Portland is either right on the edge or out. So, you know, ultimately you've got essentially eight of our 32 teams would be out of it. You'd have 24 teams still in the mix for the, for the postseason, especially if we expand it to 18, right. To, to make the numbers. Does it matter if you're in the mix for something that is so devalued as a playoff <laughs> that like all the teams are in and you're deciding series that are essentially a coin flip. And that's the, that's my real question. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I have talked, actually that's not true, the idiots who comment on my favorite Major League Baseball team were like, I like these expanded playoffs, and I'm like, of course you do, you ass clowns. Um, but, I mean, who wants this? Who literally, just as an aside to get to the actual, to get to Major League Baseball, who <laughs> wants this besides owners who want more money? I, nobody, anyway, sorry. Um, I, <laughs> I don't want to see a 400 winning percentage team beat a division leader in the playoffs. What's the, where's the fun in that? Like for, yeah, sure. For fans of that team, it's great. For everybody else, it delegitimizes the entire process. Playoffs are already stupid. I mean, I don't, you need them because otherwise the season just ends with a thud, but like they're already kind of dumb after a 162 game season. You, you've played up metric. You know, you you played a buttload of games, and you already know who the good teams are and who the best teams are. And back when the AL and NL didn't play each other, like, sure, it made some sense to put the pennant winners up against each other. But, like, now it's already somewhat devalued. You know, Randy's going down this list showing us just how truly awful. Look at that, you know, that Colorado Rockies team. Some of these guys can... They're not awful. That's actually a good team. But like how not as good as some of the good teams. So, you know, the more teams you put in. So what what would that do if the, what you know, when I look at the BBA where we are right now and I try to imagine that format, I have the same feelings. I don't, I don't think that, you know, as constructed, Boise yeah. or Phoenix or Madison or Portland should be in the playoffs. Um, 
Now, right now, if we just did eight teams, we did, only did 16 teams, um, we would actually, congratulations, BBA, we would not have an under 500 team in the playoffs, which Major League Baseball cannot say that they will do. Um, right, because 16 teams is actually half of our right. collection. Of, when you, when you do half. 16 teams with 30 teams, then by definition, you're going to go beyond the halfway mark. Right. Um, <laughs> but I, I still don't necessarily know that I would I would like it. I think that I I think it's less exciting. I don't. I understand the, the the concept that you know. Hey, look, more people have a chance to get in. It'll keep you interested longer. I I don't know. No, if I that think bears out. I think the yeah. I think that the the ultimate. You're you're right. For me, the ultimate question about playoffs for any sport at any time is, are they helping you find the best team, or is that even the goal? Right. Um, uh, that's the, if I equate this to my, uh, you know, get off my lawn, uh, get off my lawn, pound the table thing as a crotchety old guy. Um, you know, I remember when the NCAA basketball tournament was 32 teams big. And to me, it was super brilliant because you had to win your conference to go to the tournament. If you did not win your conference, there were only like four teams or three teams that would be invited in to fill out the 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 brackets. So what that made is for some blood and guts division, you know, conference battles. Uh, you your conference rivals became extremely important because you had to beat them if you were going to play for the championship. Um, and that also probably lays into my frame of reference here in the BBA. You know, my goal is to win the division. I want to win the division. I want to win the division all the time, because to me, that's what you, it takes 162 games to figure out who the best team is. And I want to be the best team in my division. Wild, um, wild cards are nothing but a revenue generating mechanism. That's all they are. You know, when people compare, one of the things I've heard, I think Manfred even Well, I mean, ultimately, this. that's my point there, is that the playoffs in any sport are a revenue-generating thing. Um, they are. Because even if you go back into the uh, into the uh, good old days when neither of us were alive and there were only eight National League teams and eight American League teams and the winner of the league played in the World Series, right? Um You know, seven games between the two best teams in the in the um, in the league are not enough to say that those are the best teams. I mean, you need to play those two teams together maybe 25 times. I can't, I don't know what the number is, but those aren't that the winning of winning the world series does not make you the best team. Right. But you get into the, um, you get into the, the discussion of practicality, right? You can't have 25 game postseason series. And I understand the idea that you don't want the season to just end with a thud. And right. the you know so I I get that you make some compromise where right. you're not when, going to have when the you say situation. that you don't want when you say you don't want the season to end in a thud what you're saying is you want people to be excited because you want them to give them give you their money <laughs> that's true that is true and right. I actually would be fine with the season ending in a thud um but I understand that most people wouldn't I do think one thing I'd like to to, to pick I mean, on that's why that's why the college bowl ser uh, series even began right. Right, and that's what, uh, I, that's, what I'm actually, that's what I'm actually going to pick on, because people like to compare. I've heard this multiple times, like, you know, well, the NCAA is so successful. Why don't we just have more teams in tournaments and more teams in play? And, like, you do realize that the fundamental reason that the NCAA has those tournaments and bowl series 
in, in its inception, not now with the expanded version, in the inception was because the NCAA has a large enough membership that they didn't know there's no way with a regular season schedule for them to figure out who's the best. They cannot do it. It is impossible. So they have to have a tournament structure or a bowl series structure or something. That is not true in any of the major professional sports. The regular season is enough to determine the best team. Um, unless you're playing unbalanced schedules, in which case then a short playoff thing makes sense and you take whatever you can um, to get there. But a comparison between something like Major League Baseball and saying more teams is good and more fun, like if you think that that's true, you're missing the fundamental difference in the baseball playoffs or the basketball playoffs versus like the NCAA tournament. They're, yeah. they're not the but same to, thing. And to bring this into the BBA, right, that's the – the same kind of conversation goes into place though, right? The, you know, Atlantis doesn't mean anything. Obviously it doesn't mean anything because we haven't won any. Right. So by definition, the Landis doesn't really mean anything. Uh, what means something is the division titles. And, but that is actually the root of the, of the conversation, right? Would the flags fly forever? Well, why do flags fly forever? Because the average everyday person will say, well, then that's the best team. You, you don't win the championship. Um, yeah. So ultimately, it is at the end of the day, the whole point of any sport is to be entertaining and to um, uh, the reason why it is socially important is you know, we can live vicariously. Uh, why sports are important is that we can live vicariously through our teams and we can then start to rule over the teams that we beat. Right. That um, there's a respect thing goes into things and whatnot. I actually so, don't like that part of it. As I've gotten older and I thought about more about like human relations and how we treat each other and talk to each other and the way we should be as people, I don't like that part of it. I don't like fans that are like, your team sucks. Like I really, that part of sport has actually started to disgust me <laughs> to a large degree. I think that's a ugly, ugly part of human nature. Sure. Um, and I don't, and again, you know, it's me. I am the eternal wet blanket. Why can't Ted just have fun and not think about it too much? But and, and that's the thing. The playoffs are, a, for me, the whole concept of the playoffs uh, get created to create fun and create. Uh, the, the, to me, postseason is not about finding the best team. And it's not about finding the best team in any sport at any time. Because basically when you have a one-to-one -one relationship, uh, between two teams and you are not playing enough games together to make a statistical statement that this team is a better statement by statistical. I mean, the mathematic, you know, stats and probability <laughs> um, that by definition, a seven game series between two teams is not enough to say this team is better than this team. All you can say is there's a better likelihood than if you only play once. Right. Um, that, that's true. So at the end of the day, all playoffs are just about kind of throwing uh, throwing a gala event at the end of the year and then celebrating uh, one of these teams um, as the champion is just fun for but, human beings to close the story. Baseball is a baseball season is a story and it closes with whatever the postseason is, because otherwise it's like watching the first 82 uh, percent of a movie and then leaving. I I agree with the concept there, but I, I challenge the the argument I think being made by many that more teams equals more fun. Um because I don't have a whole lot of fun in watching 
this year's Yellow Springs 9 play the Madison Wolves in any round of the playoffs. I don't think that's fun at all. In fact, I think the only thing that can happen, I want to see the good players play each other. I want to see the best players play each other. And all apologies to Madison. They've got some good players and they're doing some good things. They're just not there right now. But, um, you know, I think the perfect example of this is if you look at the ratings for the first round of the NBA playoffs, nobody gives a crap about the first round of the NBA playoffs. The only thing that can happen in the first round of the NBA playoffs is somebody on a good team gets hurt and it screws up the whole thing for later on. Um, you know, hockey's frankly not a whole lot better. Um, and when so when and then when you go to a sport. Like, yeah, but see, you're still focusing on trying to find the best team. Well, not necessarily, no. Best you're team still... aside, no, not, not necessarily. Oh, yeah. I want to watch the best players play the other best players. I want to watch the best teams play each other. I don't necessarily care about the outcome in this argument. I just don't want to watch, I don't want to have my chance of watching two great teams go head to head in a series be derailed by some team that isn't as good. And then I have to watch this crap team play a good team. <laughs> You know, it's like when, uh, it's like when the when the fifteenth seed wins in the first round of the NCAA tournament, and then they just get smoked in the next round. You know, who cares? Like that sucked. I would have rather seen the good team play. Yeah, but after sixty games in the Major League Baseball, you can't tell me who the best teams are. Oh, I don't know that that's true, but I I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, my concern about Major League Baseball is this they is, are this is very you can look much at a couple good. of them. Yeah. You can look at a couple of them and say they're clearly in the mix, but at 80, at only 60 games, there's no way you can tell me that uh, that a team that is 30 and 30 right now is not worthy uh, if they played 162 games, right? Well, uh, and then there's also the the next question of uh, kind of the old 1956, 57, 58 um, Chevrolet, right? <laughs> um, the team that a play that a the players that a team ends the season with are not the players that they begin with um, for injury reasons and for all sorts of stuff like that. I mean, um, you know, who's to say that if they play 162 games, uh, the Cubs pitching staff breaks down at, at uh, 80 games and just crashes and burns, right? That's not representative that they're in year. 78 win season is not representative of how good they were. They representative only of how they ended the season. <laughs> yeah, no, so, I mean, that's, that's fair. That's completely fair about this year. Uh, it, my disgust with the whole expanded, it's, it's obviously not going away. Like for major league baseball, I, I, I would put the odds that we're stuck with a 16 team format in perpetuity until they go to 20 teams um, is 80% or higher. Um, yeah, I don't know. Manfred will run this down our throats. I defended that guy for the longest time in terms of, you know, people saying he hates baseball and that being a ridiculous thing just because he doesn't like it the way you do. But, like, this yeah, is ridiculous. I don't know. This It'll is, be interesting to see what actually does happen because I, I, if they do it this year only and they go back, then this, I would feel this better. Fine. This year's absolutely fine. No problem this year for all the reasons you said. You don't know who's good. They need to generate revenue. I totally get that. It makes sense. I am almost certain that we're stuck with this. There you and, go. Um, yeah. That's I will say that I will all of this aside, I will say that my ideal situation is that for any sport, including the BBA, pardon me, if the league were completely made of people who are like me in personality, then 
the playoffs would be a two-round set of playoffs with the division leaders facing each other and then the Landis happening. And yep. so you'd have four playoff teams. Yep. And if you wanted uh, Because playoffs, for me, for my enjoyment level, I enjoy the whole concept of it's a bloodbath for your division or conference or, you know, whatever sport you're in. Yep. And then only the best survive and go on. But that's not the story that the average human being wants to see. The average human being wants to see a series of Davids and Goliaths. And then the question you're getting into is how low do you draw the line for your Davids? Um, And uh, in this world of 60 games, I don't have any. I mean, to me, it's kind of a circus season anyway. But yes, if you look at that in the long term, I would like my my line to be drawn a little bit higher. so I think we I think we fundamentally agree on our own personal senses, but I definitely see the reason why they're doing things uh, as a like I said a storyline because the college football in the college football bowl series is an a uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for a um, cash grab. Well, I mean, it has evolved. It's an evolution. <laughs> That's the word I'm looking for. It's an evolution. Yes, it is a cash grab, but. <laughs> The whole point is, is back before they, they didn't have bowls to begin with. Why did they have bowls, right? People would, uh, teams would play there and win their conference. That was the whole point. We are the conference champion. It made a big deal. Well, and then a couple of teams got together and said, well, let's play a bowl game. You know, somebody would sponsor it so we could get money. The bowl games didn't mean anything. Right. They meant nothing. But they were highly enjoyed, and people liked them, and the college football coaches loved them too because even the losers could say, we went to a bowl game, and that was a good season, right? After that point, they started saying, okay, these bowl games, they make a whole lot of money, so let's make a whole lot of more bowl games. And they continue to make a whole lot of money. And because now we have sixth and seventh place teams with sub-500 records going to bowl games because they're right, from major Right, but the conference. fan groups of those teams love them um, and think and view it as building over the years and so forth. At that point, they started to say, well, these bowl games don't actually mean anything. Let's make a championship series. Which also doesn't mean anything. Which also doesn't really mean anything, except that they do finally get into the stage of saying, we're going to try to find the best teams and pit them against each other. And you can make an argument, the better team wins in football more often than in baseball. So it's, a one shot is a little bit more valid, a little bit more comfortable, right? Uh, the way the NBA does it is probably better because the best team wins more often anyway, and they end up playing multiple games. So you know who's going to win. <laughs> you know who's going to face each other, at least in the championship series, and then it becomes an epic saga. Uh, but they go through the through the cycles. The whole point is in every sport, it's much more about the uh, epic storyline than it is necessarily about trying to find the best team because by definition playoffs are not deep enough to find the best team the only thing that's deep enough is a real is a regular season that plays enough games so that you can actually sort them out that's why i think um, that if I so was... the playoffs are not about finding the best team to me the playoffs <laughs> are about having the most fun and then you get the fake sport bragging rights um if I ever launch, I've actually thought about this because I was, you know, I was for a while thinking about launching a stats only league, seeing if I could find someone to co-commission it with me. And as it turns out, I know how much rec, I don't actually don't know how much work rec does. I have an idea and thinking about doing that makes me go, nope. But, um, if I ever do, I would consider doing a, like if I, I would do stats only and I would actually consider like a two tier, no playoffs relegation system. 
Mm-hmm. Just crown a crown a champion of each one, and the lower tier champion goes up, and the other one goes down, or you know, two teams depending on what it is. I think that would be that but, would give you, you know, the you exciting know, excitement. I'll, I'll try finish. to try to pull this into. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I'll try to pull this into the BBA uh, world too, because part of the challenge with keeping a good online league going is keeping uh, general managers of teams who are not going anywhere interested. Right. Right. Because um, if the league is not valuable unto itself, I've made some uh, fairly flippant comment before, but I really mean it. Right. Uh, When I came to the BBA, I was not looking for a league that was worthy of winning. I was looking for a league that was worthy of losing in. Yeah. uh, Because, you know, I want this kind of environment. I, I want to be okay with losing because it's just fun to play in challenge. But on the other hand, if I always feel like I'm destitute and I'm never going to be able to win, then that's no fun. Right. So uh, the, the value of uh, a deeper, I, I am actually a proponent of deeper playoff systems for online leagues not because I like them the most, but because I think that attracts the best general managers um, because there's something to play for. It also helps trade environments. Yeah. You people... get to the trade deadline and you've got 15 teams who are buyers, then suddenly you've got a really hot trade market. Um, so I think actually my last little supposition, because I know we're running pretty long on this one, even though I'm having a great time talking. Uh, my last supposition is that deep playoff structures in an online league world are actually better for the league than, um, uh, than deep playoff and more fun for the league than deep playoff structures for uh, real baseball. Um, I, I think that's a really good point. And um, I'm co- totally okay with that. As long as we all understand that division championships are what matters. Exactly. That's why the Heartland division championship is the gem. <laughs> of all uh, of all of the BBA and and um you know every general manager should aspire to be a Heartland general manager for that purpose uh yeah I don't really want to be in a division <laughs> with you and Shaw <laughs> like yeah we're gonna have to move Shaw to somewhere else that's so, that's my that's my a the, number one goal not to spit on the other guys in that division that that is Top to bottom, there's a lot of really good GMs. I mean, there, we have a, there's a lot of really good GMs in every division we have, but right now the Heartland's pretty, pretty damn competitive. So yeah, we're we're in a pretty good space right this minute. Um, but like you said, and and I will um, maybe try to roll out on this kind of comment. I mean this beyond the beyond a shadow of a doubt. This uh, the BBA is the home of a large number of the best um, OTP GMs that I have ever seen in one place. And that makes this such a special, special environment, not just for the raw participation and how many people are engaged, but really there are just a lot of really super good general managers. And I loved your comment back a couple of times ago, you know, that I think um, a large number of our general managers, if they could deal with the personnel structures would just kick the daylights out of um, some of the general managers in in real life major league baseball right now that that's saying a whole lot if they can deal with the personnel issues that's hard (laughs) 
so anyway, uh, thank you for the very uh, – I, I enjoyed that uh, conversation. I don't know whether you'll be able to edit that into something that is palatable to the rest of the league or whether they'll be bored to tears, but I enjoyed that conversation. Have to listen to it. There you go. <laughs> I've been thinking about trying to edit that as we went through here, and they're just gonna, they're just going to be stuck with whatever it ends up being. Probably most of us are each other. Well, it's been a great conversation, Ted. I think I should probably uh, wrap this up so that we uh, don't turn it into an AFBI. Yeah. Um, but uh, any last uh, any last thoughts as we walk out of here? Just that I have to edit this. That's all. <laughs> all righty. That was my nefarious plan. I did the last one because I figured, you know, we could go you two hours on this one and you'd have to deal with it. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, thanks. Uh, have a great Saturday afternoon. This is still Saturday. Yes. Um, and um, good luck to everyone out there for the coming sim. You've been listening to the BBA Today, a podcast that covers the Brewster Baseball Association every day. Music is Bold Statement, available at fesleyandstudios.com and used with attribution. Be safe and well, and we will hear you again tomorrow.